made the mistake of eating some dinner on my way here, which means my lung capacity, it all comes together. My diaphragm's working overtime. So we'll see how long this lasts. Um, I fought this message for a good week. You know how that goes. You're doing a Bible study and there it is. And you're like, no, I don't want to teach about that. We hear enough about that. I don't want to hear it again. No, and then this song comes up and no. And then I was in a meeting last week. And well, actually it was, it was yesterday. It feels like it was last week. It was yesterday. And we were talking about how we're getting ready to switch from Windows 10 to Windows 11. And I don't use it yet, but I have to use it in the College of Business, and I hate it. And so I made a comment at this conference room table, oh, I so don't want to make this switch. And everybody starts laughing, and the registrar of the university says, Teresa, you don't like change. You like winter, and you don't like change. And that's all they seem to know about me. You like winter, and you don't like change. Um, and then on the way uh, home tonight, there was a song. Anyways, I can't get away from it. <clears throat> Came up at leadership last night. We're going to talk tonight about no growth without change. I am not one of those people that embraces change. I don't even shuffle behind it. I actually move the opposite direction from change, generally speaking. That's who I am. And this is a, a Bible study. I, I had started thinking about this last week. There was a graphic on Facebook. It was actually really cool. And it had a big circle. And on the outside was everything that you can't control. And on the inside was everything that you can't control. Do some of you see that? I think several of us had shared it. It was a really great graphic. And then I'm like, no. I don't know. Put it away. I don't need it. And that's where this kind of started. So I ended up on Brother Woodward's page. And he had this Bible study that I tried to go by. And then, then I had to go back. So we're going to talk about no growth without change. What does that look like? Okay, because all I see in the back, it's different. You don't see any words. All I see is like a skeletal thing. That's kind of cool. All right. At least it's not a picnic tablecloth this time. There's an old wives' tale, tall story. Not necessarily true, but there's this account go that goes around from time to time that a letter was written to U.S. President-elect Jackson back in 1829 from Martin Van Buren, governor of New York. And it said this, the canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as railroads. The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. One, if canal boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Captains, cooks, drivers, hostlers, Repairmen and lock tenders will be left without means of livelihood, not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in growing hay for horses. Two, boat builders would suffer and tow line, whip, and harness makers would be left destitute. 
three, canal boats are absolutely essential to, def to the defense of the United States. In the event of the unexpected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we could ever move the supplies so vital to waging modern war. As you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. I totally could have written this back in 1829. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such a breakneck speed. Signed, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. And one of the accounts of this was written by a man who was actually on a plane at 34,000 feet going, you know, 475 miles an hour, writing this anecdote. By nature, we resist change by our nature. We are quick to criticize innovation because the necessary changes frighten them. Once, people said that cars would never replace the horse and buggy. That one makes me kind of sad. I will say I miss, I think I would have liked that horse and buggy thing. That's just me. Others said that the light bulb wasn't any better than the kerosene lamp. Some said that movies could never entertain like vaudeville could. Others declared that television would never replace radio as the primary source of entertainment. When Alexander Graham Bell invented an instrument called the telephone, which enabled people to talk through a wire over great distances, he was almost laughed out of town. The Swiss watch industry made 85% of all watches sold in the world in the mid-70s. But by the mid-80s, they had laid off more than 25,000 watchmakers and were down to only 15% of the world market. A simple new development called the quartz movement was released by Seiko and redefined what the world expects of watches. Those old watchmakers in the Swiss watch industry didn't think the quartz was really a watch because it didn't have a spring, it didn't have a winding knob. Boy, if they could see us now, right? The world changed, but they remained the same. And then upstarts like Seiko come along and change all of history. In all of economic history, there has no technology that has grown faster than the World Wide Web. In 69, now those of you that are, were alive at that time can confirm, there are a couple of you. <clears throat> Three of you? Four of you? Not you. Not you, but you, you, and you. Three of you. Not you. Either of you, okay. Not, not you. 69? Oh, okay, there are four of you. Three of you, four of you. Tell me if this was true. Wait, you were babies, you wouldn't know. What am I saying? There were four primitive websites existing in an online world. There were these, you know. By 1990, there were 333,000. And by the end of 97, almost 20 million. It took radio 40 years to reach 50 million domestic users. It took 14 years for television to do that. And the internet did it in four years. I'm not saying all of this technology change was good, okay? If your local store stocks a computer, guess what? It's already obsolete. If it's on their shelf, it's obsolete. Because they can't 
likely even order current mo the new current models yet. The digital watch on your wrist contains more computing power than existed in the entire world in 1961. That's exciting. Those birthday cards where you can record a little 10 second message, right? Um, they have more processing power than all the vacuum tube computers in 1950. Your car has more, okay, if your car was like 19 or 2015 and newer maybe, okay, if you're still driving a 19 something, maybe not. The newer cars have more computational power to get it down the street than all the computers combined in the Apollo 11 spacecraft that carried Armstrong and Aldrin to the moon. We are living in a world where it is cheaper and faster to send a signal over 20,000 miles up to a satellite and back to a vibrating pager than it is to have someone walk 50 feet to tell you your table is ready. Right? Those places give you a little zzz. Okay. Um, there are cultures around the world that are still fairly primitive. Some of them unchanged for thousands of years. Some of them even consider innovation to be a Western notion and um, more of a heresy. They don't like change. And they're not the only ones who think that way. Early Christians were opposed to change from communicating the gospel orally to writing it down. We wouldn't have the written word. We wouldn't have a Bible in front of us if someone hadn't changed their methods back in the day with a, you know, a scroll or a, I don't know, chiseled on a, how did you do that? No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. My students think I was around for that, though. Obviously, we live in a changing world. We can't get away from it. Some are good, some are bad. But we're not talking tonight about change that's just for the sake of change. Some people want to change just because they can. Windows 11 is unnecessary. Windows 10 does everything we need it to do. But somebody somewhere wants to make more money. So they come up with a new operating system so that people have to buy it, pay more to maintain it, right? This is what we do. Change for the sake of change. As far as the apostolic church is concerned, we would never, of course, ever accept the slightest change in the message. We can't change the message. Changing the message would be fatal to us. However, even the early church wrestled with the issues of changing methods. I mean, just think about going from preaching to Jews to going out and preaching to Gentiles, you know, and, and the travel and things like that. So we're talking about changing methods. I still like to write a letter or sign a real card and put it in an envelope with a little stamp that I, well, I don't have to lick them anymore, okay? I get the ones that are peel off, but I've made some concessions. But I still like to do that. Granted, I do most of my communication online, so the method has changed, but not the message. Although I gotta be honest, for some people in the world, their messages change when they change methods because suddenly they can be jerks behind a screen, right? They would never have written that in a card or a letter or went to someone's office and stood at their desk, and, but they will sure get online and 
all of it out. So maybe it does change some people's message. We don't want change to change our message. But sometimes, as much as it hurts me, we have to change our methods. Yeah. I don't like change. How many of you love change? I know you do. You are all about the change. You, really? Yeah? Okay, I can see it. You too? I can see it. How many of you are more like me and you just really you just won't, don't want to embrace change? There's a couple of you. The rest of you are in the middle. You'll handle it if you have to. You're not going to be me fighting it for four more days? Okay. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Now I'm going to read this in King James. Then I'm going to use some Living Bible translation to make it make sense. Because frankly, this particular one, a little troubling. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. The main point of all of that is that we don't want to be led away by false doctrines in error of the wicked, but we want to grow in grace and in knowledge. In the Living Bible, he's talking about how their beloved brother Paul had talked about all these same things. Some of his comments weren't easy to understand. And there were people who were deliberately stupid and always demanding some unusual interpretation. They were twisting the letters. And the result was disaster for them. And he's warning us here ahead of time, dear brothers, so that you can watch out and don't be carried away by the mistakes of wicked men. We all know someone who's been led away by the deceit of wicked men. I mean, I can throw a rock on Facebook and half of my Facebook crowd is people maybe I grew up with in the church or whatever and they're all kind of doing their own thing. They've been led away by the mistakes of wicked men. But grow in spiritual strength and become better acquainted with Jesus Christ. To him be all glory. So he's warning the saints here about false teaching, twisting scripture, because we don't want to tamper with the message. We get that part. But he still says we have to continue to grow. Any long-term growth has to be accompanied by some changes in method. The church that refuses to occasionally evaluate and change its methods isn't protecting the message, but rather hiding the message behind obsolete traditions. Now, I like to think because I'm human and I'm wrong sometimes. And yes, that was recorded. I said it out loud. I'm occasionally wrong. Um, there are some organized religions out there that have a whole lot of tradition, a whole lot of ritual. I mean, heavy, heavy ritual. 
I go to their funerals and their weddings and I'm exhausted. We're not like that. But then if you stop and think about it, sometimes we're a little bit like that, right? I mean, we have things that we do that have become tradition. They're not bad. They are just tradition, ritual. We all stand at the beginning of, of service. We pray. And then we, we stay standing for worship. Think about it, right? Other people sit down. Now, I sit down a lot because my bones aren't carrying all of me so well anymore. But most people are stay standing. Is that Bible that you have to stand during worship service? Well, no. But it's kind of become how we do it. It's, it's a bit of a ritual. I am not telling you to sit down for worship on Sunday. Don't any of you look at me up here and go, as I said, don't do it. All right? I will come and find you after church. But we do. We have things that are ritual. Offering. The collection of offering. This is one I still struggle with. At home, my home church, because of COVID and how things changed, they don't even take offering anymore. They have collection boxes in the back. And then there's usually something on the announcements, or it might even be mentioned in announcements, not just on the screen. You know, don't forget to put your tithe and offering in the envelope, right? We now have the ability to do tithes and offerings online through Breeze. Yeah, I'm not there. I, I know it works for some of you people, and I appreciate that. I'm glad for you. I just can't let it go. Tradition, ritual. There has to be a plate, and somebody either has to take it around or we have to come to it. So it turns out we do have our own traditions and rituals, okay? Those are methods. They're not the message. The message is God commands us to return the tithe to him. That's the message. doesn't matter if it's in a silver thing or occasionally a plastic basket if we can't find the offering plates or that we do it online or that we put it in a collection bucket in the back. I don't know. It's a changing method. I struggle with it because I do not like change. So every time I walk in the church, I'm like, oh, I'll just go put it in here. I'm going to wait till after service. At least I felt like I was spiritual for a while before I put my offering in the plate. Um, We're commanded to give offerings. Not just return tithe, but to give offerings. And does it matter how we do it? That's the message. But we're talking about method. So even though we say we don't have a lot of ritual, like some of those organized religions out there, boy, do we. This little puppy right here, standing here. We used to try for a long time. We used to do it before COVID. We would go back in the big room. Of course, we can't do it now because we have kids back there. It's pesky children. We'd go back there. We'd sit around tables. I loved it after a while, but I'll be honest. That took a couple of months for me to be okay with because it's Bible study. Somebody stands in front of something, metal lectern, I don't know, something, and teaches, right? Um, We have to, yeah, it's a change in method, not a change in the message. The human body is an incredible mechanism built by the Almighty, and like all of his creations, 
it must change constantly to stay alive. In fact, in the medical world, a clinical definition of death is a body that no longer changes. Change is life. Stagnation is death. If you don't change, you die. It's also kind of like some water sources. If they get dammed up, they can't flow anymore, you get stagnation, you get dead animals, you get dead vegetation, etc. Psalm 139 and 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made our bodies to change. Now, sometimes we unfortunately do things to it. It causes it to change in ways he probably didn't plan. Thus, the tater tots I ate on the way home tonight from Sonic. Okay? That wasn't in his plan. Now, he knew I was going to do it 6,000 years ago, but it wasn't in his plan. We do things to change it, but it doesn't change the fact that the body has to change. We start young with all that energy. Man. Brother Rick is going to be the only one in the building at 90 with that energy. Okay? And that's all right. That is all right. Brother, Brother Nichols has some of that energy still at 80. They were just mentioning he was on the roof the other day. Right? And we're going, dude, stay on the ground. Except it's something he likes and he wants to do. We're going to be chasing Brother Rick going, dude, get on the ground. We start young. We grow up. Then we kind of flip. We flip roles. And those of you that don't have elderly parents yet, it's coming. Okay? In about 20 years, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. We're already there. Um, You flipped roles. You keep getting older. They keep getting older. But then they start to revert some to toddler years, you know. They slow down. They don't want to go up. They don't want to get out of bed. Just, you know, it's a switching of roles. We grow. We all have seen children, sometimes even young adults, who didn't grow properly, didn't change. Maybe they're still being fed by a feeding tube or, right, there's different things that they simply cannot go on and be productive the way God would have, cre- you know, allowed us to do without some kind of change. Stagnation is death. If Ecclesiastes 11.5 As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We do not understand. I don't care what they tell you. Nobody truly understands the absolute nature of what happens in life, with life. They may have all kinds of stuff they've figured out about the atoms and the cells, but they can't make it life because they don't understand it. They can't. That's God's work. Even at that cellular level, though, they do find out a lot of interesting things about us. You can be screened now for diseases that you would normally get 30 and 40 years later to see if you have a, 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 the ability or the likelihood of getting that disease. All kinds of things we can know, but they can't know it all because that spark of life... Is God's. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. See, 
when he kept all these long scriptures, it was before I ate dinner. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That means they start out imperfect. As saints, we're imperfect and we have to become perfect. We won't become perfect here. Where will we, where will we become perfect? Over there. But we are, it's an I-N-G word. It's an action word. We are, it's the perfecting of the saints. It's a process. We are changing for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. If you don't think... They're out there trying to catch you and deceive you. You need to read that scripture again. They are lying in wait to deceive. They want to deceive your children. That I just saw this week. Well, who knows with me, it might have been this week. It might have been last week. Um, Another state, I didn't open it up to see which state it was, has just approved another new curriculum where the whole state curriculum is going more towards transgender and um, alphabet ways. They are lying in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We're supposed to start as children, but we're not going to be children anymore. We're supposed to grow up. Sorry, Destiny, those kiddos of yours, they're going to grow up. And it's going to happen way too fast. Way, way, way too fast. I mean, we say, right, I want them to stay little forever. But nobody in the room actually really wants that. We like them when they're little. But, Sister Jessica, I'm sorry. If they never change, something's wrong. They have to change. They have to grow. Growth is change. Growth is change. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. We leave the doctrine alone. We don't change it. We can't. We can. We could if we chose to change the doctrine. People do it all the time. But we don't want to because that, that doesn't work. Leave the doctrine alone. It's the methods that change. We are going to go on into perfection. We're going to get better. Growth is the name of the game in the church. How do we, not making any judgments here, but as humans, how do we typically define growth in a church? Hmm? Numbers. This is where we go, right? It's like in the business world, we go right to dollars. Not always the smartest thing because you really need to go percentage, whatever. We think numbers. Growth isn't always numbers. The things that are growth 
will turn into numbers over time. But just having this room full of 120 people doesn't mean we've necessarily grown. We could have a bunch of heathens like me. Right? I mean, I'm just saying. Hey, now. You were... I expected it from somebody over here that didn't say it, but I wasn't expecting it from you. Um, Numbers alone aren't growth. Okay? And unfortunately, in the Pentecostal world for a long time, that's what we looked at. I remember every month opening the Illinois District News. Back page. You remember the Illinois District News? Back two pages. Section by section. Church by church. How many did they have in church on Sunday? And then we would get all worried about how we were counting people because, oh, it was supposed to only be Sunday school. And then we went and moved our night service up behind our Sunday school service, and we were counting all of them. Are we cheating? Because we were worried about numbers. Numbers doesn't necessarily mean growth. It might mean that the few that you have grow as individuals, as families, We have to get away from just being able to survive on the milk of the word and get to where we can survive and handle the meat of the word. I've seen people, I I don't know how this works. I, I can't understand it in my head. Some of you, maybe you can. That have been around and have attended a oneness, Holy Ghost filled church for 30 years live the same way they have the whole time. They can only handle the milk. They've never let themselves grow to handle the meat of the word and let it change them. We can't just stay in that one place. In the time it takes, took for me to start talking here eh, 32 minutes ago, hundreds of millions of the 100 trillion cells that make up your body have died. And no, it's not the fat cells everything else. I want to know why fat cells don't die at the same rate as the rest of the blessed body. Okay? I'm just saying. Your body with five pounds of dead cells already sticking to it will have flaked them off or flushed them out. And we're all going home and taking showers because now we're grossed out. I'm reading this and I'm like, you, you taught this in Canada. They're like awfully polite people to be talking about this in public. Okay. <clears throat> we, we, we change at the cellular rate. Now he gives some medical jargon here or some medical numbers. I'm sorry. I didn't have time this week to go track all of this down in the medical journals. Okay. So take it for, he's a researcher. So I'm sure he was pretty close. For every one of those cells that dies, another cell divides to replace it with a new one. Skin replaces itself every month. Again, what's wrong with my fat cells? The stomach lining every three to five days. Your liver every four to six weeks. Your skeleton. This one kind of creeps me out. Your skeleton about every 10 years. The whole thing has at some point regenerated itself. The cheek cells, when you haven't chewed them off by accident, about once a day. About 330 billion cells are replaced daily, which is equivalent to about 1% of all of your cells. In in 80 to 100 days, 30 trillion will have replenished, which is about the equivalent of a new you. So you're a new you every month or two. 
but the fat never leaves. You know, I claim that scripture, all the fat is the Lord's, so he wants us to keep it, I guess. I don't know. That's all I can think of. Biologists study this cell death phenomena, asking why there is a death wish in every cell. Why does it choose to die? Even at the cellular level, the body has this collective awareness. Every cell contains within itself proteins that will basically kill it, that are ready to be released. The body triggers these for certain reasons. Sculpture. Cells sculpt body parts. So our hands and feet in the womb, we, you didn't have fingers right away, right? Those, those develop over time as cells die and shape. They, they, they shaped in the womb over time. Obsolescence, when a cell is no longer contributing to the larger body, it knows it is no longer needed, and the body is programmed to remove it. Self-sacrifice, cells will sacrifice themselves to protect the larger organism. If it's invaded by a deadly virus, it'll trigger one of its self-destruct mechanisms called apoptosis. I tried that earlier, I didn't get it right. Which prevents the virus from spreading further. It tries to kill the cell so that it can't keep growing. Isolation, when neighboring cells exercise a ban on it, when the cell's neighbors don't affirm it and encourage it and tell it how much it's needed, it dies. Only when it is connected and contributing to its partners do those inhibitors of that process kick in. Your body is alive because it's constantly changing. And those parts that can't keep up and contribute to the whole are dying. Death and changelessness, that is a long word, changelessness go together, whereas life and change go together. A post office received a, a returned letter marked, he's dead. When they inadvertently sent it out again to the same address, they didn't catch it. It came back again, <laughs> marked, he's still dead. You know, death is death. The English poet Samuel Rogers says, it does not matter much who you marry, as one is sure to find the next morning it is someone else. Because we change. Now that obviously isn't overnight, but who you were and who your spouse were when you got married is not the same person you are 40 and 50 years later. Can I get, okay. Amen. Just saying. We change. That's not just physically. Although that happens. How many times do you hear people say, oh, she looks like she's gained weight. Well, she got married four or five years ago. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And then I think about it. Oh, for a lot of my friends, that was true. It's kind of like going to college, the freshman 15. There's something about getting married. You start changing physically like that too. But we also change, you know, emotionally and that sort of thing. Y'all start acting alike and it gets scary. Okay? Just saying. Just saying. Change is good. To grow, to have revival, and to do the will of God... Our local church may occasionally have to change its methods. That hurts. That hurts me. I like it where it is. I like it where it's comfortable. However, I know for sure we can attest in this church. I 
can't attest for any other church. I tell you, in this church, the message will never change. But sometimes you're going to see us change a method. Sometimes we may rope you into changing a method. Okay? Oh, let's teach on Wednesday nights. And What? They're young people. I don't want to talk to them. Call me when they're 21 and I can have a conversation with them. To change a method doesn't mean eliminating the old. And that's where I have to remember. Change doesn't... Now, some things I don't get to pick. If they switch my laptop from Windows 10 to Windows 11, I don't get to keep the old. Okay? I hate Windows 11. I'll be used to it in about two years. About the time Windows 27A comes out or something. Uh, when they need another boost in their market price. So... Some things, when it changes, you can't get it back. But some things we can change and still hold on to some of the old stuff. We incorporate the old in with the new. For instance, some of you may wonder why we try to use older songs and new music in our worship services. Okay, It's not just because I like them. I mean, I do. But that's not the only reason. Two weeks ago, Sister Emily is driving out of the parking lot. I'm going to my car. She pulls up beside me, rolls down the window, and says, hey, you got to keep doing those songs. We had done a book song that day, and then we had done Amazing Grace. We started with Chains Are, Chains Are Gone and went into traditional. She tells me every time, got to keep doing those old songs. It's not that we're going to get rid of them and only do you know, Bethel and Elevation and whoever they are these days, um, we're going to try to keep it a mix because we want to incorporate the old into the new. Plus, these young pups around here need to hear the old stuff. There's nothing wrong in learning some book songs. I mean, they're, they're not technically book songs anymore. I get them out of a book, but they're screen songs with... I would love to say there's songs with five verses, except aha, that's the new music too. <clears throat> Anyways, that's just one example. We are changing the method. It doesn't mean we get rid of the old. You incorporate both. I have been in churches where all they do is new music. People are frustrated. I've also been to a church, little bitty church, bless their hearts, and all they do is old stuff. And people are frustrated. Okay, it's about incorporating old with the new. Maybe we try new ways of teaching Sunday school. One of my favorite people on the planet taught Sunday school at this church for 25 years with flannel graph. She had the blue board. Matter of fact, the blue board was still in the nursery till just a handful of years ago. It got stuck in the corner. And she had all the little flannel people. And that's how she told her stories. Now, I was never one of her students, because I was 17, I think, when I came here. But I watched her teach that forever. Okay, If she's teaching Sunday school right now, I promise you, there's at least one flannel person. Okay, Now, maybe she uses some other things. But she's not the one pulling out the CD-ROM. Wait. Downloading the PDF from the website. Right? And getting the graphics. Okay, that's not who she is. But they're going to have another teacher in another class 
who is going to use all the new hot stuff. We were talking last night about Kids Power Hour. Kids Power Hour isn't a new thing. It's a very old thing. We were doing it on Grove Street 25 years ago. I just got old. How old are you? Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing Power Hour that long. And it's just a different way. It's not better or worse. It's different. I have to remind myself of that because I liked it better than I liked the regular curriculum. But it's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. These are just a couple of ways we might change the method, but it doesn't mean we change the message. We put in that welcome center out there. Folks, I struggled with that for a while. I'll be honest. That was where people were supposed to be able to gather and chat and without bringing it into the sanctuary. And there's just a, I like it now. I got used to it. It only took me, how long have we had it? Two years? Ish? Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. See? It's a method to, tr instead of somebody trying to chase people around with a clipboard and get them to put their name and address on something, right? We're trying to catch them out front. It's just a different method. We have to change. We notice in Israel, there were two contrasting things happening when they left Egypt. Moses took with him the bones of Joseph. That was in Exodus 13. Those bones were the symbol of their history. They took the old with them, prompting them in their struggle to remember, equipping them in their war against forgetting. But they also plundered the Egyptians' stuff when they left. They used the inventions of the Egyptians to do the will of God. They took all of their containers and gold and all that. They took this stuff with them. They took the old and they took the new. We have to do the same thing. We're not changing the message. We're changing the method. We need to do what Ezekiel did. We need to make those old bones live. Use every bit of modern technology and method that works for us. Won't all work for us. Some of it will. But keep ourselves tied to our heritage, making it come alive. There's usually one night at family camp where for offering, they'll do a set of choruses. What we sang 20 years ago in church. They might even throw in a couple of hymnals in there. Right? I'll fly away. and I got to tell you, you haven't been around family camp for a while sometimes those are some of the most powerful worship times then but then we also have the he is the god of the breakthrough no i don't need to hear that song anymore um what's another one goodness of god we'll go there right and you'll get just as powerful of a move because we have to keep the old bones alive while we move forward in john 4 10 it says jesus answered and said unto her if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Then in John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus uses the analogy of living water because it changes. No matter what container you put it in, it changes shape. No matter what method you use, the message can stay the same. You put water in a big round bowl, that's the shape it's in. 
You pour it in a tall, skinny vase. That's the shape it's in. The water doesn't change. We have to be living waters and know that it's okay for there to be change. Sister Sanchez is still going to complain about it. Okay? I'm going to. Just be ready. I'm going to. Doesn't mean I won't support the change when it happens. Okay? We've done some stuff musically that 20 years ago would have had me on the floor. Um, and I'm fine. I like it. But we have to be willing to change. And those of you that embrace change to the extent that you do, we will be following you and watching you as our benchmark. 